Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my cry of supplication. So says the psalmist in Psalm 86. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to my cry of supplication. Today marks the final sermon in our ongoing sermon series on prayer. And today, for this final sermon in the series, we take up the genre of prayers of supplication. In other words, prayers that express our need. Prayers that express our longing. Prayers that express our deepest and our most profound yearnings. Supplication. In her novel, Jack, the novelist Marilyn Robinson writes, and I quote, There is a difference in kind between what you want or wish for and what you pray for. There's a difference in kind between what you want or wish for and what you pray for. In other words, what we want and what we pray pray for are not, Robinson is saying, necessarily the same thing. James and Lucy and I read this novel together last fall, and each of us starred this passage in our respective copies because each of us found it to be both meaningful and insightful. Since then, I've thought about this line several times, and I've come to believe that it's true. But I've come to believe that it's speaking most specifically about not prayer in general, but about prayers of supplication in particular. Now, we no doubt pray often for that which we want, for that which we most wish, God, give me more money. God, give me the partner I most want. God, give me more leisure time, etc. Whatever those wants may be. But Robinson's point, and I think it's a point that we can't dispute, is that there is a difference, not of degree, but a difference of kind between such prayer-like words as those and such prayerful words as these. God, heal my child with cancer because I don't know what I'd do without her. Or God, give peace to my grieving friend because I don't know if he can make it through this sudden and unexpected divorce. Or God, show me who you'd have me to be because I can't keep living the way that I'm living. There is all the difference in the world between these two types of prayers. Those first are mere expression of wants. These second are sincere pleadings of need. Do you follow? You see the difference. These first are prayers of self-desire. 
The second are prayers of supplication. I'll never forget the morning that Ada, our first daughter, was born. She came seven weeks early, and directly upon delivery, she was spirited away to the NICU, April and I having only gotten a brief moment to hold her and to look upon her before she was connected to all manner of tubes and monitors. Now, we've been assured by the doctors that she had every hope of being just fine that though she required this kind of specialized attention, she would more than likely be okay. That we were probably looking at a month's stay in the hospital, but that we needn't fear the worst. The doctors had been very clear about this. But that doesn't mean that April and I had been fully persuaded by it. That doesn't mean that April and I were ultimately comforted by it. That doesn't mean that April and I felt that we could rest easy. No, instead we worried ourselves sick over it. Not only with questions about whether she would make it, but also, and perhaps even more so, questions about whether her early arrival had caused other complications, complications that we couldn't and that the doctors couldn't possibly even know about yet. And so it was that that first morning when we brought, excuse me, when we were brought down to Ada's section in the NICU, and when the doctors finally left us alone with her, and when April momentarily left to walk her parents to the elevator, so it was that I put my hand on her tiny little shoulder, and I prayed something to the effect of, oh God, let her be okay. Oh dear God, let her be okay. It was as simple as that. It was as simple as that, yet it was perhaps the most profound prayer that I'd ever prayed. Because more than any other prayer that I had ever offered. This one had nothing to do with what I wanted. and had everything to do with what I needed. More than any other prayer that I had ever offered, this one had nothing to do with what I wished for. And it had everything to do with what I longed for. Yes, there is a difference in kind, as Robinson writes between what we want or wish for and what we pray for. Today, nearly eight years later, those prayers appear to have been answered. Ada's healthy, happy, strong, vivacious. And for it I give God thanks, and for it I give God the glory. But as we all know, just because we need something, just because we long for something, and just because we therefore cry out to God in earnest and honest supplication on account of it, even so, we all know that this doesn't necessarily mean that we will always see 
those prayers get answered. And so it was that at the very same time that we were praying for Ada, we were also praying for April's brother Casey, about whom I have preached before and who you therefore know was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer on the same day that Ada was born. He was thus in a hospital not five miles from the one we were in with Ada. And so for him too, I, along with every member of April's family, prayed prayers of need rather than want, prayers of longing rather than wishfulness, prayers of supplication rather than self-desire. We prayed earnestly and sincerely, beseechingly and unceasingly, Never has a group of people prayed harder for something than we prayed for Casey. We buried Casey not three years later, at the age of 34, five years ago this coming Tuesday. It's a wound in our family that will never heal because it's a brokenness in the order of things that can't be set right until Christ returns with his kingdom. It's not okay and it will never be okay. We don't always get what we pray for, no matter how earnestly we may pray for it. I want to say something now about the nature of supplicatory prayer, and I want you to listen closely because I think it's very important. There are two things that can derive from prayers of supplication, and they are both equally significant. The first, of course, is an answer to the prayer. Sometimes such things really do happen. Sometimes that for which we've been praying really does come to pass. And in such cases, seldom do we ever know to what extent or to what degree our prayers had direct bearing on its coming to pass. But though we seldom do ever know such things, we as people of faith nonetheless can and should Trust that God not only hears us and loves us, but is intimately involved in the affairs of this world and is capable of working miracles that defy our modern skepticism. I firmly believe this. So when we pray prayers of supplication, this is the first thing that can derive from such prayer. And it is something that we as moderns ought never to consider impossible. Sometimes that for which we pray really does come to pass. And in such cases, our prayers quite possibly do have bearing on that which has happened. And thus, that is a very important reason to pray. Meanwhile, though, here's outcome number two. Whether or not that for which we are praying does indeed come to pass, nonetheless, the very act 
of earnest, sincere, open, yearnful prayer steadies us and calms us and prepares us and comforts us. That is outcome number two of prayers of supplication. That whether or not that for which we are praying ever comes to pass or not, that nonetheless prayers of such earnest supplication bring us face to face with the living Spirit of God connect the very core of our being with God. And they thereby provide us an altogether different kind of answer than the one we came to the moment of prayer asking for. Do you follow that? In an earlier sermon in this series, I quoted a line from the end of C.S. Lewis's book, Till We Have Faces, a line where the book's protagonist, Queen O'Rule, says in reference to her recent meeting with the gods, a meeting that she's been pining for throughout the book. Of this meeting, O'Rule says, and I again quote, I saw well why the gods do not speak to us openly, nor let us answer Till that word which we really mean can be dug out of us, why should they hear the babble that we think we mean? How can they meet us face to face till we have faces? Do y'all remember that? It's a powerful line and it's a penetrating insight that we often don't say that which we really mean when coming before God in prayer. That we often obfuscate or prevaricate. That we often bring before God banalities or platitudes, half-truths or false flattery. And that as such, God quite literally can't answer that which we were ostensibly praying for because we aren't actually praying for what we at our core really need or think or desire or believe. That is why I quoted this line in reference to prayers of lament. So as to encourage us to say in our prayers that which we really mean. So as to encourage us to come before God with faces. That was three weeks ago. About prayers of lament. Well, I bring the book up again today, though in order to read you another line from Till We Have Faces. This one, O'Rule's description of what her experience coming face to face with the gods was really like. That is, her description of what it was really like to finally come before the gods openly and honestly, not with her selfish wants, but with her central needs, not with her precious wishes, but with her most profound prayers. Describing that experience, she says, 
Oh Lord, you are yourself the answer. Before your face, questions die away. What other answer would suffice? Before your face, questions die away. What other answer would suffice? For the prayer itself, she goes on to say, was the answer. Quote, to have heard myself making it was to be answered. In another of Marilyn Robinson's books, a novel called Home, Robinson's character Robert Boughton, a minister, teaches his children, quote, to pray for patience and for kindness and for clarity and for trust and for gratitude. For those prayers, he says, will be answered. Others may not be. Those prayers will be answered. Others may not be. So that's outcome number two of prayers of supplication. That whether or not that for which we are praying ever comes to pass, nonetheless to hear ourselves offering this kind of prayer is, in perhaps the deepest kind of way, to receive an answer. And that while prayers for patience and kindness and clarity and trust and gratitude will always be answered. Others may not. But that even if they're not, better yet, even when they're not, if they have been offered earnestly and openly, vulnerably and sincerely, clear-eyed and face-to-face, then we will be strangely calmed by their very expression. Strangely steadied by the very act of speaking. Strangely comforted by the simple assurance of being heard. For all the while held by the one who is the answer, even if he doesn't answer what or when or how, we've prayed that he will. In everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, Paul writes to the Philippians. And if you do, he says, then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The other night during bedtime prayer, our healthy, happy, strong, vivacious, soon-to-be eight-year-old daughter prayed these words, and I quote, And take care of Uncle Casey. 
and let him know that we love him and that we'll see him in heaven. Sometimes we get what we pray for. Sometimes we don't. But if we in everything, with prayer and supplication, let our requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Because to pray in that way is to come face to face with the one who is the answer, Jesus the Christ. The one who may not answer us just now, but the one who nevertheless has already supplied the answer to each and every eternal need we carry before his face. All questions die away. For after what he has accomplished, what other answer would suffice? Amen.